Hi, welcome to One Brew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I am your host, Kevin Zade, and today is a special episode. First of all, it's been a while since we've had a new episode, so for those of you who stuck with me, thank you for your patience. And if you're new to the show, or this is your first episode, thanks for joining. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, We've got uh, over two years of episodes you could listen to. They're all on our uh, website, onebrewover.com. Today's guest is pretty exciting for me to have gotten a chance to talk to him. He is the host of Movie Podcast Weekly, which is the podcast that I started with back in 2012, 2013, sometime around there when I really started to getting really started getting into movie podcasts. His name is Jason Piles, and because of the inspiration that his podcast gave to mine, I thought it would be great to have him on to review the film that we get our name from, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's a great conversation. You'll understand why I enjoyed talking to Jason so very much. We do a new segment, which uh, we introduce and call Picture Perfect. And uh, to join in and see what we're talking about, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. And... uh, yeah, it's a really good conversation. It's a really great review, and it was fantastic talking to Jason. And for now, I think that's about it. Let's get into the show. Welcome to One Brew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Every week, we talk about film, sometimes new. I was there to push people beyond what's expected of them. Sometimes old. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Films that inspire creativity. Films that inspire hope. I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum, and then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build schools. Films that take you to a place you never knew existed. I'm repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Sometimes, films that are just entertaining. Now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. We hope that when you listen to us, you walk away with a new idea, a new perspective, or at least you have a good time. Are you not entertained? Welcome, Jason, to One Brew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I'm seriously honored that you asked me, and it's a pleasure to be here. I got a quick shout-out, if you don't mind. Of course. I just want to shout-out uh, Kevin's parents to Mr. and Mrs. Zaid because uh, you've raised a very nice young man. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Oh, they listen and they will appreciate that. So uh, thank you. <laughs> I know. I, I was so impressed when you told me your parents listen because I've tried to get my mom to listen to my show several times and she just won't. <laughs> so not even my mom listens. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, well, I listen, sir. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so to the listeners, uh, Jason is the uh, the host of a movie podcast that the the movie podcast that inspired me to create uh my podcast such as formerly the zade story and now one brew over the cuckoo's nest so uh if you love the show you have this man to thank and uh if you hate the show you have this man to despise (laughs) (laughs) that's right and um and feel free to despise me because uh you know i'm used to that but honestly i bet you all your listeners love your show kevin I I think I know most of them, so I hope they do. 
<laughs> nice. Well, thanks for saying that. That's very nice. And I, I hope I hope you're enjoying your podcasting journey because I, I feel like it's very addicting, right? You can't get away from it. At least I uh, haven't been able to yet. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know about your show, but my show is uh, non-for-profit. Profit. In fact, it's for cost. I spent a lot of money <laughs> doing yes. this. In fact, I have made zero dollars since I've started, but I have spent hundreds. So, <laughs> yep, yep. It is a, a black hole of time and expense. It turns out. But uh, the thing is, is once I started, I just I love it. I I love talking about movies. And I love listening to podcasts, and I actually really enjoy the editing and the the creativeness that comes with it. So I, you're right. I don't see myself quitting anytime right. soon. <laughs> That's because you're an artist, Kevin. You know, I mean, you're a true artist. That's how I see you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so, Jason, give us just a... Uh, what I've done with uh, hosts that people may or may not know or first-time guests, uh, give us just a little bit about your movies, because I know a bit about your movie taste, but our listeners may not. So uh, you could give us like a, maybe a favorite director, or um, I know you love the horror films, which I thought uh, maybe towards the end I was going to give you my top ten horror of all time, so we could oh, we could do the. It. The horror stuff maybe towards the end, but just give us a just give us a little history of Jason Piles. Yes, sir. Well, my my favorite genre of all time actually is like the the crime gangster film. I, I love that kind of stuff. I like I like films that are dark and disturbing, which is funny because people who know me, I'm a pretty smiley, upbeat, clean cut type of guy, right? <laughs> you know. But uh so when people hear that I love horror movies or crime films or like violent type movies, they're always shocked. But it just it makes me feel better about my own life. That's how I describe it. Because not that I have a terrible life, but when I'm watching a movie I get so um immersed in what's going on. I love to ask that question, what would I do if I were in this situation? It's always so exciting to me. And then when the film is over and and it's like, you know, whatever happens, you know, it, when I go have to go back to work the next day or whatever the the drudgery may be, it's like, well, at least I don't have a chainsaw killer after me, or at least I I'm not framed for murder or something, you know. So that's what I love. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least at least right. no one's chasing me with a chainsaw. You right. Know, I'll push this paper a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I, I I just think that's so fun. I mean, a lot of people will do things like they'll climb mountains or ride roller coasters. They'll do thrill-seeking. Well, I, I'm into the cinema for those same reasons. Yeah, yeah, that's the exact same reason I love film. Uh, I... Oh, my wife and I were just talking, and you know we have two kids under five years old. Uh, well, one turns five this month, but the other one turns three in August. So they're young, they're kind of crazy, and <laughs> if I don't get to a movie a week at least, like mm-hmm. I get all this tension and stress built up, and then when yes. I get to a movie, it it's seriously almost therapeutic, like. I get to disappear, and kind of like what you're saying, I get to experience a life that isn't mine. And sometimes it's, you know, 
uh, like the I I don't know if you saw Coco yet, but mm-hmm. uh, you get to experience that world, and it's just it's just amazing. Or you get to experience something like you know the movie we're going to talk about tonight, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and it's it's dark, it's it's disturbing, um, but you get to participate in a world that's not yours, and I come back feeling lighter almost every time i go to a movie even if the movie's fairly dark i just uh it's it's an escapism that's more therapeutic than like trying to run away kind of right i'm with you 100 percent. yeah there's a, a certain catharsis to it because yeah i mean in your own life you might not be willing to take the kinds of risks or or do the kinds of crazy things that you see a character do but yeah if you watch it and you you go on that journey with them vicariously then it's kind of like you experienced it. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're on the same page. This is this starting out good. <laughs> I know, right? So far, so good. I'm glad I'm not kicked off yet. <laughs> well, there's still time. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the night is still young. Uh, okay, so uh, let's uh, let's get into it. Let's get into one brew over the or one brew. See, look at that. Uh, let's get into one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Why do you think they might think that? Don't make a bit of sense to me. Do you think there's anything wrong with your mind, really? Not a thing, Doc. Uh, Excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. God almighty, she's got you guys coming and going. Change never hurt, huh? Little variety. Oh, come on, you're not gonna say that now. You're not gonna say that now. You're gonna pull that hen house shit now when the vote that you just voted it was ten to nine. I want that television set turned on right now. I don't think he's overly psychotic. No, I want something. Done. I think he's dangerous. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place here, and then you haven't got the guts just to walk out? I mean, what do you think you are, for Christ's sake, crazy or something? Well, you're not. Hey, wait a minute. Ah, hold it. See how easy it is? Um, you have seen this movie before, I assume. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, have, did you rewatch it? recently yes sir yeah of course i did yes to prepare for your podcast i mean i needed to revisit it and so i rewatched it uh yesterday morning and enjoyed myself thoroughly yeah the first time i saw it was when i was pretty young probably too young to have watched it i was <laughs> i was probably 10 or under somewhere around that age so it's been a wow long time. yeah yeah i don't think i would want my kid watching that at 10 years old <laughs> no no <laughs> yeah I don't know how that happened or why, but but yeah, I remember when I watched it, it, it I kind of felt like I was um, going crazy or something. I felt like I was stuck in that asylum, you, you know, in the mental hospital. And I think because of that, Kevin, it made me, um, I, I don't know, it made me like a little bit afraid of this movie in some weird way. It's hard to explain, but my, my take on it as a young kid is a lot different than my take on it now. <laughs> uh, I definitely could understand that. Um, 
yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a little slow. It's slower than I remember because um, I watched it Friday night in also in order to prepare because it's been I don't know probably three or four years since I've seen it, mm-hmm. um, and. I am catching up on all these classic films because uh, I didn't watch very many films growing up. Uh, we were not a very electric-centered family. Like we didn't have, we had one computer that we were allowed a certain amount of time on, or a Nintendo 64, which we were allowed, you know, a half hour a day if we did our homework and stuff like that. Which. Uh, you know, as a kid, I hated and wanted more, but as an adult, I'm very grateful for because I I don't feel stuck in this like world of screen dependence per se. Um, right. You know, my yeah. phone dies and it's never that big of a deal to me. Or uh, there's nothing on TV. I'm completely happy just turning it off and sitting outside or playing the guitar. Or, you know, so I uh, appreciate it now. But growing up. I would have wanted to watch a lot more. But because of that, I've been catching up on all these great movies um, in the last 10 years or so. So I didn't watch this until I was at least 22 or 23 um, for the first time. So my experience was the first time I watched it, I was blown away. But the second time I watched it, I was – or this – I don't probably third or fourth time on Friday uh, – I watched it. I was really kind of blown away with the craft behind it because I'm sure, as you know, when you start watching more films, you know, talking hundreds of films a year, you start to notice things like uh, framing or soundtrack or act mm-hmm. performances and direction. So um, totally. I was really blown away by the craft of this on this watching. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you 100. percent It's um. It's a very impressive film, and, and maybe you're already planning to go into the history of it, but, I mean, it's, it won uh, many awards, and they were well-deserved, for sure. Yeah, so uh, it, it's one of the three, at the time, three films. With, well, when I, according to Wikipedia, it was one of the three films that won, like, the big five, best mm-hmm. director, best picture, best writing, and then the two lead actor and actress awards. Yes. Um and so that actually went into the reason of our podcast name, um, because I don't think I know anyone except for you who loves the Oscars like I do. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, and I know that they are political and wrong a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but I still just love them. And <laughs> if nice a movie yeah. says Best Picture winner, like... I can't help but be intrigued, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah, you have to you have to see what that's all about. And and, and this one, not only did it win best picture, but it beat out films like Jaws, Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon and Nashville. So that's that's something too. Yeah, and and Rocky Horror Picture Show as well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that was I know, it beat that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but yeah, so like it, this this is uh this is a great film. Another reason it went into uh the name of our podcast was uh it was a large portion of it was shot in the uh state hospital in Salem, Oregon. Neat. So for uh 11 years as I worked at a restaurant on Center Street, I would drive past this old mental hospital. 
Um, and uh, they recently, within the last five years, they re they renovated it, so it doesn't look much like it did in the movie. But for the first five or six years of driving past it, it was this old, run-down, haunted-looking, creepy <laughs> asylum that like was kind of eerie to drive by. And then you watch this movie, and you see the the effects that this building, this prison has on these people. And it's, uh, yeah, so uh, the, the Salem attachment and mm-hmm. the uh and the oscars was kind of what and uh it kind of compelled me to name that title plus it uh let me replace flu with brew and <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you've listened to much of our episodes but we rate on a five beer scale right, right. instead of stars uh yeah so so that was kind of the third tie-in that led it to be like a perfect uh, name for the podcast of perfect inspiration <laughs> oh that's excellent i love that i like hearing the story behind that that's good um but yeah so let's see do, do you want to give a premise like a short premise of the film for people who haven't seen it sure my pleasure thank you so this is a, a film adaptation of the novel by ken kesey um it was also adapted into a stage play but um this is set in 1963. It stars Jack Nicholson. He plays R.P. McMurphy as an unruly 38-year-old prison inmate who gets transferred to this mental hospital in order to be evaluated for mental illness. They want to determine whether he's mental ill or not. And while he's there, he proves to be quite the disruptive force for the whole ward, especially for the strict head nurse, uh, Nurse Ratched. <laughs> yeah. That? That's perfect. <laughs> uh, a chilling performance from oh, what's her name, Louise Fletcher, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's good. So, uh, so what? You saw it when you were ten. It scared you. What did you think about it yesterday morning? Like, uh, give me your give me your thoughts. Wow. Yes. Um, well, the first thing that really stood out to me was just how altruistic i think in some ways this jack nicholson character is i mean he he is a sympathetic character and that shocked me this time around i mean i I, you know i i didn't remember a whole lot about it from before i i knew that it was a a decent film but this time i'm like wow this guy you know he seems to be fun loving he seems to want more or less the best for everyone he seems to have a good heart somewhere in there and despite his record of having like, you know, five arrests for assault and a very eyebrow raising record of the statutory rape of a 15 year old, aside from that, he's, he is a sympathetic <laughs> character, I think. You know, he, the things that he looks for are pretty simple. He just wants to show people the, the World Series. And of course, a lot of this is selfishly motivated. It's for him. But like, you know, his requests, Kevin, they don't seem, that out of the ordinary to me he's like you know he wants the music turned down he wants the people to be able to go fishing and you know i I was just surprised by what a good-natured character he is at least for what we see yeah that really struck me on this watch too uh I I kind I associate Jack Nicholson with kind of that terrifying character <laughs> right. that he plays in many of his films, 
And there are moments here where he is, uh, he does kind of tiptoe into this terrifying, uh, manic, crazy person. Um, right. <laughs> thinking of one particular scene with Nurse Fletcher. Um, <laughs> yes. but, uh, but yeah, I kind of, I was struck by how kind he is to these people that the world has kind of cast out, um, as not worthy of, of love or humanity even. Um, yeah. and I was, I was really struck by his kindness to these inmates because I was trying to think if I could put myself in his position, which, you know, is a little impossible to do, but, to put myself in that position, how would I react? Could I treat those people as people as opposed to the freaks that society, the label that society has put on them? Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, I was just I was really struck by how kind he was to these these fellow uh, inmates, I guess you might call them. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you can see that he is a little off balance in terms of like his behavior. He, he gets, as you said, he, he ramps up a little bit where you're like, okay, this guy's kind of on the edge, but also there's a, a great deal of humanity about him. And, and he seems to perceive that in others. And I, I think that's amazing. Like, like there are a couple of instances where he treats his fellow, like um patients or whatever, the inmates, he, he he treats them a little bit, you know, like um, at arm's length. Like for example, his his treatment of Harding, um, you know, he he refers to him as you know by an alternate nickname, which is disparaging. <laughs> um, <laughs> so your parents listen to this show, Kevin. So I need to you know be very respectful here. So so he yeah he refers to him by that name and and what was hilarious by the way like what is your policy here in this review regarding um spoilers how far we're going to go because i don't want to give away anything that that you don't want me to give away uh just go for it um okay Okay. i feel this movie's uh, 40 years old (laughs) right um i'm like you know like we discussed a little bit before we started uh i'm not much for spoilers and if this if i don't think it'd be impossible to spoil this movie like if (laughs) I would say don't reveal what happens to the characters toward the end. Okay, the very end. Okay. I'm yeah, the, the very end, the last ten minutes of the movie, I would say maybe leave that for those who want to watch it. But, I got gotcha. you. Uh, I got gotcha. you. Um, other than that, I think the story moves itself along, and even knowing certain things that happen wouldn't necessarily spoil the enjoyment of it in particular. Okay, cool. Okay, so yeah, this is a very small detail. Just wanted to double check with you. But yeah, there's um there's a moment where he introduces his fellow um, inmates to um these to to someone, and he introduces each of them as doctors. And then when yes. he he gets to the Harding character, he just calls him Mister Harding, which I think was such a hilarious diss. And then um, Michael Berryman and people who are familiar with him, he's um a very popular horror film actor, and he has um an appearance. That is unusual, let's say, and so like I think that's why he's been cast a lot in horror movies. <laughs> and there's a there's a point where he's going around and trying to conjure extra votes out of these other inmates. Yes. And when he when he approaches Michael Berryman <laughs> and sees him, he he does have a little bit of you know a striking appearance, of course. 
Um, he, he decides not to even try, and he walks yeah. away from. <laughs> so he turns around. <laughs> yeah. So those those two instances, I feel like you know, with those two guys, you know, maybe a little less humane, but but otherwise, he's got a great deal of humanity. Yeah, and speaking of that, I also was surprised at how funny I thought this movie was. Yes. I know. Um, I know, and, I, and it's the kind of funny where you feel a little bit bad about yourself, like, uh, yeah, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but it is kind of hilarious. I, yeah, I'd call this a drama slash comedy. Yeah, sure. like like a dark comedy, for yes, sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, I I was laughing. Uh, my dad watched it with me, and as well as a friend, uh, and so we were all sitting there on the couch, and, and my dad and I were just busting up through the whole thing, and... I I thought I found that amusing because r- recalling it from ten years ago, I don't remember it being funny. I remember it being pretty, you know, terrible. <laughs> but right. uh, man, I I was I and I liked the fact that I was laughing throughout it because I felt like it rounded up this really dark themed, this darkly themed film with some really terrible ideas attached to it. Uh, and it just, it rounded it up, you know, just life is hard and sometimes you just have to find the humor in some of these situations. And so, yeah, I thought it was pretty funny, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of movie, like, I was cracking up all through it. And I'm I'm actually pretty tough on comedies, generally. Like, I don't know what it is. I, I fancy myself as having a decent sense of humor. But a lot of times, if a film is in the comedy genre, I I often don't think it's that funny, and but but this one is hilarious, and I think a big part of that has got to be Jack Nicholson's performance. I mean, his delivery is right on the money. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, talk about your your actors that deserve recognition for performances. Like this one deserves recognition. It's a tremendous performance. Um, mm-hmm. It's like we were talking about that edge that he you see, uh, but you. And the kindness that he delivers, but there's always this give and take of who this person is, and we never really know who he is um, completely. <laughs> right. Um, I think that's got to be hard to do to give such a, a nuanced performance to this character who could be so many, like, could be put into so many different categories, but you kind of get a taste of them all. Yeah. And especially since, I mean, since he's playing a person who may or may not be at least on the borderline of um, mentally ill. I mean, I think as an actor, I'm just speculating here. I'm not an actor myself, but it seems like that would be a a very easy type of role to go too far, go over the top with, but he balances it really well. I think there's a lot of nuance in his performance. Yeah, I would agree. Um, what about Louise Fletcher? Uh, Oh this my goodness! Mm-hmm. The performance she says that like you know wrecked her acting career because I don't know if she did anything after this. I heard, or heard an interview a long time ago saying like after this role she like stopped acting. I don't know if it was for a while or permanently. Um, I'm notorious for not having IMDb up or anything. <laughs> oh, no, that's <laughs> all right. recording, so I I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but uh, I feel like that was the case, and her performance is. Like, quietly terrifying. Yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, looking over her filmography, 
Yeah, there's nothing that jumps out at me as being like overly like notable after that. I mean, she was in uh, Cruel Intentions, for example, which is not overly notable, <laughs> or or like a <laughs> Star Trek Deep Space Nine. You know, like she she's in that. I mean, but but I'm with you now. Here's what shocked me about her. You you know you hear the Nurse Ratched like you hear those references over the years. And like people will call someone who's like super evil or super super scary, like they'll refer to them jokingly as Nurse Ratched. And I always knew that that was a reference back to her. But having revisited this, you know, even though she is a little bit spiteful and and sometimes a little bit awful, like uh, particularly at the end, there's um, you know, otherwise she seems pretty like calm and laid back and. You know, she, she's not as horrifying, I guess, as I've made her out to be. Now, I think they do, like, some neat things to, like, demonstrate how threatening she is. Like, for example, in one of the very opening shots, when she first arrives at the hospital for the day, the orderlies actually step back out of her way. <laughs> yes. Which is an amazing, like, show-don't-tell kind of uh, cinematic, like, you know, storytelling device where we could see that these guys, like, our first introduction to her is, okay, obviously, she means she's all business because these guys are even, like, clearing a path for her to enter. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I had I, I remember seeing that, and I but now that you say that, that's exactly right. Show, don't tell. Um, mm-hmm. That's great. And then, like, she never really loses her cool. Like, she's... She, I, I, I mean, she raises her voice a couple of times, but it's it's something in her personality that is that, like I said, quietly terrifying. Like it's in the choices she makes. Yeah. Um. You know, because we see the most screen time she gets is during these like confessionals. I guess is a is a word for it. Like where I don't know if it's supposed to be group therapy or whatever. Yeah, but that's what I would call it, the group therapy sessions. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's moments there where she, like, doesn't give an inch and, like, makes the person, like, it's just quiet until, like, you know, and, like, that's, it's, it's a little chilling. Mm-hmm. Um, but you watch it and you, you don't say, wow, what a monster. Right. You know, like, it's, she's not some, you know, Freddy Krueger or Jason <laughs> type horror character. It's just this, these quiet decisions. The way she just berates that Billy, yeah, uh, and there's you know there's things like that, or the way like you know Jack Nicholson wants to get the baseball game on TV, and he feels like he achieved the task that she required, but like there's just no inches given, like mm-hmm. it's and it's just like wow, like I can't say she's a monster, but does she have a heart? Maybe that's a better question. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think, too, Kevin, what establishes her as being very formidable is, like, she presumably, I mean, we assume if these people are in this um, mental hospital that they could potentially be dangerous. I mean, we hear that about the McMurphy character. But even though these people are potentially dangerous, she does not seem one bit intimidated by anybody by any of them, she doesn't feel threatened at all. And the fact that she is so composed and calm in the face of their like extreme behavior, 
that almost worries me. It's like, well, yes. like you know, it's like, why, why is she, okay, if she's not worried, then um, maybe I should be worried about her. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. Maybe she's the crazy one. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, what What else? What What else did you want to talk about this movie Sure. Uh, is anything else sticking out that you want to touch on? Yeah, I have a I have a few notes here. Um, like so, in addition to Jack Nicholson, you we get to see uh, Christopher Lloyd and Brad Dourif. That's um their credited film debuts, I believe, for both of those. So that's pretty neat. We got uh, Danny DeVito in this. We got Scatman Crothers, who people will know definitely from The Shining. And um, there's a very brief like. Just a very quick appearance of Angelica Houston. She's at the fishing pier in this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, like you have to really watch to see her. But um, yeah, she's there <laughs> in a really quick shot. But um, so that was kind of interesting in terms of casting. I mean, you've got like you know you've got a these people are very young at this point in 1975ish. I mean, you got Danny DeVito. I mean, he's almost unrecognizable at first. I'm like. That guy looks like a very young Danny DeVito, but then <laughs> yeah. then I heard his voice and I'm like, that is Danny DeVito. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, he he's great in this, Mr. Martini. Right, right. He is great. Um, let me see here what else I want to ask you about. Uh, so here here's something I wanted to ask you. So w- what do you feel about this? It seems like that McMurphy wants to intentionally antagonize Nurse Ratched. You know, he places a wager on this. And in some respects, honestly, I know he does some pretty extreme things, but I guess I was a little disappointed because I was anticipating that he would really target her and try to get under her skin personally. And then later, um, we have the reverse of this when the committee meets about what to do with him and she says she wants to keep him in the ward and continue to work with him. I thought that she was going to exact her revenge on him personally. But honestly, they didn't go after each other as much as I was expecting. I, how did you feel about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point you bring up. Because it's clearly stated in uh, in the dialogue. Like you said, he places a wager with somebody. I bet you... Uh, I'll get under her skin or whatever he says in less than a week, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I that made me kind of think. I wonder if that's like six chapters in the book that just didn't make it into this into the film. Oh, um, good point. Because because I I'm completely on board with you. Like I kind of expected there to be a lot more rebellion, but there there's almost none. Um, there's, I, I'm trying to think there's really nothing directly targeted. I think after that is when they go fishing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And so I wonder if like, if that was his big play. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Cause yeah, and, that, that would obviously get her probably in some hot water for him right, to accomplish and, that. <laughs> instead, like nothing happens. In fact, what ends up happening is she decides to keep him there, which I wonder is a subtle way of her, like, maybe he did get under her skin and she wanted to finish the job kind of thing. Right. 
Yeah. Um, because you're right about it. She is spiteful for sure. We see that at one point when, when he is getting a little bit under her skin. And so to spite him, she turns up the music, which she knows is something that he doesn't yes. want, like it to be loud. So it's like, oh, okay. She has some spite to her. Right. She's, she's got a, you know, that, that playbook that she's got written down somewhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Uh, oh. Okay, turn up the music. We'll start there. And he's like, I'll steal a fishing boat. We'll start there. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that she ultimately wins. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's um You're you're right though what you said. I mean, she is kind of a terrifying character, but it's in a very subtle way. But but she's essential to this this story, right? I mean, without her, uh, I don't think this story would work. I mean, she's I think just as important because she is like the equal, she is the match of um, Jack Nicholson's McMurphy character. Right, and and she's the exact opposite of him too. Like the the yin and the yang. Like mm-hmm. he's all about you know the freedom. You know he wants to do what he wants to do, and she's all about control. And so like they're opposing forces uh, from the beginning. Just on personality right um so yeah if if uh if she wasn't there or her performance didn't match uh jack nicholson's it the, i think the film could have flopped very easily mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's like it's like we always say um <laughs> film critics like us kevin you have to have a, a good villain a good antagonist or you know you don't have a good movie <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> mm-hmm. um that's yeah. most of my problem with all the Marvel films. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, in, 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 many ca- in most cases, I mean, the villains are a little weaker. Yeah, but, um, yeah, and they've been doing better of late, but yes. Uh, yeah, agreed, as of late, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, I, I would say the, the, the villain needs to be somewhat sympathetic as well. Yes. Do you feel like... Louise Fletcher or Nurse Ratchet is sympathetic. You know, I, yeah, I mean, I think that a, a couple of things, and I'll, I'll just be really careful how I talk about this. Like, you know, we we do hear her peers, like the doctor, I think it's um Spivey or whatever. He refers to her, you know, as like one of the best nurses they have, and has a lot of respect for her. And he seems like a straight shooting guy, and it's like, okay, maybe he doesn't know that she's. Um, scary, but, but anyway, her peers seem to respect her. And then, um, later in the film, we see something that, that also is, you know, a little bit sympathetic. I mean, it makes me feel bad for her, uh, later in the film. You, you get a little sense of, oh, okay, she's, she's human. And, you know, right. you know, she's not, you know, a fortress. She's not in, in <laughs> impervious, right? So. Yes. So yeah, I think, you know, that plays into it a little bit, but otherwise, as you say, she's pretty cold and, uh, just, she seems to be a fortress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Do you think, do you feel she's sympathetic? Uh, yeah, I do. I think the first half of the film lets you know that she's in charge, but I don't think it takes away her 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 humanity i would say to work at a place like that 
and to become the head nurse, I think the film does a decent job of, especially in like that first therapy session where she's really pushing at the character to talk. But at the same time, like I feel like there might be a level of actual care that she is giving these, these (laughs) people. Well said. Um, Well said. I, I agree, Kevin, because that's what I was thinking. I'm like, well, I mean, who am I? I don't have my degree in what she does. I mean, maybe maybe she's supposed to be pushing them, and this is for their well-being. You know, I give her the benefit of the doubt. So I like what you said there. Yeah, and it, it makes me. It makes it, it seems hard to work in a in a place like that if you don't have somewhat of a heart for the, the people there. You know, I don't think. I mean, maybe at least someone in her position. Mm-hmm. Maybe a guard could work there with no empathy for these inmates but i feel like someone in her position uh would be required to have somewhat of uh an empathetic reaction to the people who are there so i feel like she does have a a a maybe quieter than her terror but like a quiet heart for some of these inmates um just not for randall p mcmurphy (laughs) (laughs) right yeah like the you would think you would at least assume there must be some degree of compassion, some level of it that she's exhibiting in order to work with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think uh, this movie could be made today? Well, um, do you mean – okay, so I just want to make sure I understand what you're, what you're getting at because do you mean could, could another ensemble cast of actors pull it off or do you think that they could – redo this character on the same level like these characters or and and i know this is annoying but uh, like or are you saying in our climate of um you know social consciousness and political correctness could they make a film like this which which one are you uh, looking for (laughs) kevin that's 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 a great breakdown um (laughs) because that's a that's a very broad question. Uh, I think uh, me and my buddy, Kenny P., who was watching this with me, uh, we talked afterwards, and we kind of discussed in today's social climate, in today's uh, call for uh, characters to be represented by the characters they are. Um, you know, like, there's a lot of special needs characters certain groups want special needs characters. I don't know if that's the correct term for them, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, they don't want Tom Cruise to play the born on the 4th of July guy. Cause there are actors who don't have legs that are in a wheelchair. Like, you know, like Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like, could, could Danny DeVito be cast as that character in today's social climate? I guess that was kind of the, my, uh, original intent for the question. I'm with you. Okay, yeah. So yeah, that's a great question because uh, I am totally sure that if you if you made this film today, that you would get a lot of heat from a lot of different groups. And in fact, um, you know, I, I the thing is, Kevin, I get a lot of grief. <laughs> like I, I really care about people's feelings, and I try to be <laughs> careful about you know alienating some group or another group because you know i i consider myself a decent guy i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but i'm often using the wrong word for things and i have people on my case a lot and so i feel like 
in my attempt to <laughs> be careful, um, use I still get a lot of like you know heat from people on on lots of different things that I say. And so when I was preparing to talk about this film with you, I'm like, okay, there is a um, a Native American character, and they call him Chief in the film, yeah. and I'm like, okay, so um, that's his character name, and that's what they call him, and and yes, they are being, you know. By by calling him that in the film, they are being very reductive and and like they're being not super respectful. I think I think that he gets that name just because he's you know a Native American, so they just call him Chief. And like you just you can't do things like that in today's society, uh, obviously because it's you know insensitive or whatever. And and who knows? Maybe he was a chief, it, right. you know, <laughs> in actuality. But uh, I'm doubting that. So, yeah, I was like, okay, how am I going to talk about Chief with Kevin? You know, and I was, like, nervous about the way people would react. So just that very thing of how to talk about this film from the 70s. You know, I think that if some of some of the people today who are, like, social justice warriors and who are being very careful and mindful about these things, I, I think that this film might be off-putting to them. And then if you had someone make it in this climate, climate just a short, you know, <laughs> finally answer your question i think there would be a lot of repercussions i i agree i don't think that i don't think you could uh i don't know if it's like the subject matter is any different than some of the films we see being made today but the representation of different groups like you said uh chief um mm -hmm. what was that the the horror film actor guy you said who? Oh yeah, I don't Michael know his Berryman. Name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who's got that very distinctive look? Um, yeah, you know, I I don't know. Yeah, I I I kind of think that if it was made today, it would flop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and especially with this film in existence and and the way that it well, was executed yeah. so well. Yeah, I think people would be like, what are you doing? It would be like trying to remake Casablanca or something. It's like, sure. Yeah, probably wouldn't go over. But, but um, you know, I, do I think – so if, if we were to talk about are there actors who would be capable of pulling, pulling this off, I do think that you could put together a very fine ensemble cast that could, could still represent well, you know, these characters from, from this story. Yeah, I, I on that line I agree. Uh, I, I I think Tom Hardy's a great actor. Uh, mm -hmm. I could see him potentially doing a, a Randall P. McMurphy. I like that. I like that casting. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. He could do um, it. Did you hear about the? Uh, there's a Netflix, a potential Netflix series called Nurse Ratched. No, I haven't heard that. Yeah, it's supposedly being filmed. It's got Sarah Paulson as Nurse Ratched. Oh wow! Like it's a prequel of kind of giving us her story. Wow! I don't, I, I don't know what I think about it. Yeah, I'll probably watch it, but yeah, it's like, well, why, why are we doing that? You know, it's yeah. like that's that's what <laughs> yeah. really comes to mind. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Right, I mean, I mean the, the her appearance. It's it's a lot like Star Wars, honestly. Like um, Episode Four, A New Hope. 
the reason I'm told, my understanding is the reason George Lucas started with that story, it's like, okay, this is kind of the heart right here is the, you know, this is a great story. And in fact, that film, it can stand alone on its own. I'm just saying it's, it's good enough. It has enough of an arc and the story is interesting enough. It stands on its own. And I do think that this, this point in Nurse Ratched's life, life, I would, I would suspect is kind of like the, New Hope, the episode four. It's like the the, the meat and potatoes, the good part. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. Uh, the, the the standalone. It's the story you want. Yes. It's not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, then that's my complaint with Solo that just came out. Oh yeah. So so okay. So you felt like um, you, you know we weren't looking for those extra details. We didn't want to see those backstories played out before us is, is that where you were coming from on that yeah like i i wrote in my review uh like how much do we need to know about the backstories of our heroes why can't they just be heroes or legends like why do we have to know how how they were made like i think it takes away some of the magic of them being heroes and you know like uh, hero doesn't apply to nurse ratchet but right. if you if you watch an eight or ten part, you know, eight or ten hour miniseries on how she becomes Nurse Ratched, like, I feel like there's potential for an okay story out of it, but at the same time, like, why can't Nurse Ratched just be Nurse Ratched? Like, mm-hmm. you take away the mis- the mystery, you take away some of the power she wields as well, and I just feel like too much is too much for a reason. Like, yes. Like you said, the meat and potatoes. I, I don't eat the broccoli anyways. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally with you. And, you know, like uh, on this same topic, like I'm just cringing because I'm worried that one day we're going to get some sort of uh, Blade Runner prequel with the uh, Rutger Hauer character, the Roy Batty character. And we're going to see his like um, tears in the rain. They're going to actually try to show us that that beautiful last speech that he gives about the things that he saw, you know, that that famous, you know, the improv line that's so beautiful and incredible to imagine. I don't want to see that depicted ever in the center. I don't. (laughs) I I don't. It's it's incredible just like it is. And so anyway, I'm totally with you on this. And this Nurse Nurse Ratched series is kind of a weird idea, I think. Agreed. Agreed. Good. We're on the same page. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, let's uh, let's get to. Well, is, is there anything else you wanted to discuss before we get to ratings? Yeah, if you don't mind, I'm sorry to uh, belabor it, but like, um, so when Ro- Roger Ebert, when he wrote about this film in his great movies book, he says that it's remembered as a comedy about the inmate revolt led by McMurphy, but in fact, it's about McMurphy's defeat. And, and I won't mm. go into like what he's meaning there because we don't want to spoil like, you know, it could be a defeat of many sorts. So he, he just says that in very general terms. But for me, Kevin, I think the heart and soul of this film really is about um, his friendship that he develops with Chief and, and the way that friendship unfolds and plays out all the way to the end, which I won't describe. But I, I mean, I think that friendship is really what this film is about for me. How do you... The center relationship. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the central point because 
Because, yeah, when this film ends, like, and I'm talking about the final shot, like the final moment, I mean, I am just like, like, I just feel, and this sounds really crazy, <laughs> but, but I feel like, like a, a, a river sweeps through my body and cleanses me when I see that final shot. I just feel, yes, it's so incredible. It's like flying through the air and, and free, and it's just amazing. I love the way this ends, and and so I think that that payoff is is only achieved by making that relationship so beautiful. Because where where Chief begins, like when we first meet him, and our our initial understanding about him and his condition and so forth, I mean, from from where he begins and where he is at the end of the film. There is a tremendous journey there. Absolutely. And there are two... Well, there's three moments in the film that really, really, like, grab me by the heart. And um, one of them is kind of silly, but, like, uh, it's the basketball game. And, you know, he tells this, you know what, he's seven foot tall native american who's deaf and dumb doesn't speak doesn't hear he just you know he convinces him to stand there with his arms up and put the ball in the basket <laughs> and that first time he passes it to him and he makes the shot uh, mild spoilers here <laughs> right. you, you get you kind of laugh and you feel like everybody's celebrating everybody's just shocked and then he makes another one and, but towards the end of the basketball game, you see Chief like running in these big, big arms, big like galloping strides, and he's got this smile on his face, and it's just like at that point, you just—I just—I love that sh- that scene. Uh, the basketball game is is fine, it's fun, it's silly, whatever. But that moment where he starts to really run and enjoy. Like being worth something mm-hmm. is is really touching. And then yes. uh, there's a scene on a bench uh, which I won't go into, but mm-hmm. he hands him he hands Chief a piece of gum, and uh, you're not sure whether he's going to take the gum or not. And what transpires is is mind blowing and magical. And there's those two scenes are really the only two times in the film that like I'm just like flooded with happiness. Yeah. Uh, you you get to feel that relationship you're talking in those two scenes and yeah, I can't disagree with you. That's uh, that besides Nurse Ratchet and that that central conflict, that central relationship is definitely between chief and mcmurphy and it's a really special relationship yes and the, i i would add there there might be even a third scene there where that and it's the scene that leads them to sitting on that bench together um the scene the, the scene that prompts yes. that i mean that that is pretty emotional for me too when that mm-hmm. happens but oh that's amazing and yeah I'm, i love juicy fruit by the way um that's one of my all, all-time favorite smells <laughs> In the world is juicy fruit. Yep, <laughs> my daughter just picked it out at the store for the first time, and I was secretly overly jo- overjoyed because I knew I would eat most of it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, there is I've uh, I've attempted to, or I contacted William Rowan Jr. to see if I could 
snag a slot on his show. And uh, I was thinking about doing this movie, and um, we haven't discussed any details. It may or may not happen. But uh, the scene I had picked out was going to be the fisherman scene when they steal that boat, um, Mm -hmm. and they go fishing. And I I didn't catch the line. or I mean, I I might have 10 years ago, but it stood out to me this time. Uh, He goes, you guys aren't crazy. You're fishermen. And, like, that scene on that boat is so emotional for me. I relate it to the scene on the rooftop in Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. Where they're just drinking a beer after spreading the blacktop on the roof in Shawshank. Mm -hmm. And they feel like men. And they're, you know, and, you know, Tim Robbins gives that. One of them, Tim Robbins or Morgan Freeman, gives that monologue on the roof about how that music was playing and they they hadn't felt freer in their whole lives. That's amazing. What a great scene. And I, yeah, and I felt the same way about this scene on this boat where he's teaching them how to put the hook through the eye, which is <laughs> kind of gruesome because <laughs> these guys have never probably done this because they're pulling the eyes out of the fish and like <laughs> getting them really awkwardly close to their noses and mouths. Yes. And like, but he says, you're not, you're not crazy. You're fishermen. And like, I just, the ocean has always, uh, you know, inspired me that how big and powerful it is and how free it must feel to be on this big boat out there. Just, just you in the wild. And like, so I just, I felt like those two scenes really connected, but just out of all this, locked up caged uh, madness that this movie presents us there's this one moment where they're on the boat and then it zooms out and they're just they're because <laughs> uh i can't remember who it is <laughs> he's left the the cockpit or whatever oh yeah they're just, they're just floating around in a circle <laughs> quite rapidly and you can see the wake in this giant circle and <laughs> so there's there's still just a lot of problems with the whole the whole thing but it doesn't matter because they feel like people again at least that's the way they presented it mm-hmm. so i love that scene of the film um it really spoke to me about what it's like to be free in any sort of situation, you know. I love it. And Kevin, for, for what it's worth, I hope you do appear on William's Movie Moments podcast. That's one of my favorite shows ever, and I think you'd be great a great guest on there. <laughs> well, thank you. It's what a great show. Like yes, I I was uh, uh, it, when he started talking about it, I was like, oh man, talking about one moment of a movie like that seems pretty specific. Yeah, but you listen to it and you're like, wow, like that's the moment everybody is looking for in a film, mm-hmm. you know, what they're, whether they're the same or not. Like there's these little tiny moments, just moments that really can make or break a film. And so I, man, it's a great podcast. Totally. Yeah. William is one of my favorite people. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah. He seems, he seems great. Uh, he's a great guest host. Uh, for our listeners, his show is movie moments podcast. <laughs> Uh, it's on all the streaming sites totally so. worth your time yeah it's nice it's like a for the most part it's like a shorter little show and it's it's a great little i, I love listening to that on my drive to work oh. yeah it's it's it really is great and uh i i tweeted at him like 
is there an episode that doesn't get emotional? Like, <laughs> I know, right? Because like his first six episodes, they're crying, they're like <laughs> talking about. <laughs> it's just yeah. you have you have a moment on there that's just gut wrenching and yeah. it's just like it gets <laughs> raw. I mean, and and that's what's so powerful about it because it explores people's personal relationship with the cinema, and man, that's that's very intimate. Most of the time, so <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's a great show. Um, cool. Yeah. So uh, let's see. What's what's next? Okay. Well, um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to draw out your show too much because I just go on and on. That's why uh, my co-host Carl gets mad at me because I keep him up <laughs> too late. So so I will. I will defer to you, sir. I will follow your lead. Whatever you want. Well, I mean, here's the deal. I can cut it when, however I want. You know, the half of this might not make it into the show. Okay, so. <laughs> fair enough. That's fair enough. No, I, I guess um, the, just the last thing I'll, I'll just throw out then. Um, you know, I talked about how when I watched this when I was younger, it made me feel like I was kind of going crazy. And that the same year you had, um, I believe, Tommy was that year. And, and that made me feel like I was going crazy. But I remembered it being a lot more along the lines of something like um, Steven Soderbergh's recent film, Unsane, where you had a character who's ostensibly like well, you know, and entrapped in a mental hospital and can't escape. And that's what I remember this being. Um, but I can't believe, you know, how different it actually is. I mean, it's really about. Um, a lot of other things, and I think it does have some beautiful scenes in it. One thing that strikes me, and this is um, something that Roger Ebert commented on too, is that it doesn't deal with mental illness in um, in a very real way. Like they're almost caricatures, and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't take seriously. Like even his his criminal offenses that are established at the beginning of the film, we don't see that. But those are some serious offenses. I mean, statutory rape. 15 year old girl that's a very serious offense and so all, absolutely yeah all of these criminal behaviors and and these um, mental illnesses like in a real life setting in the real world you know some of the things he does with these people could have been just absolutely catastrophic and so so like there's that side of it where it, it doesn't deal like super honestly with mental illness but um i think that this film did that thing with mental illness movies or mental hospital movies, the same thing that Jaws, which came out the same year, did for shark movies. Jaws set a very high bar, and every shark movie you ever see after that, you compare to Jaws. And I think the same is true of um, Cuckoo's Nest. It, It set a high bar about mental hospital films. And, you know, probably the most recent one that I think is even... In the same ballpark that's comparable, it's not as good to me, but as Girl Interrupted, it reminds me a little bit of this film, except it's with a, a female cast, and that's pretty interesting. Interesting. I haven't seen either Unsane or Girl Interrupted. Okay. Uh, Girl Interrupted, is that Angelina Jolie? Yeah, she's in it, and in fact, she plays, um, and, and it's not a remake of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but she plays the McMurphy-like character. Um, but she's not the main character. She's a supporting character. Uh, Winona. That's, that's a little older, right? Because she was pretty young in that, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, it's from 1999. Okay. Or, yeah, thereabouts or 2000, somewhere around there. And um, Winona Ryder is the lead. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's neat because 
it's almost like it's framed as if Winona Ryder is one of the you know, you know the the side people you know like someone like I can't even think of her parallel in Cuckoo's Nest but it's like how is, how is this McMurphy character affecting another one of the patients you know mm. and and it kind of looks at it from that angle instead of from McMurphy's perspective gotcha okay pretty cool but yeah girl interrupted it's definitely worth your time not as great as this film but you know it's like what shark film is as good as jaws you it's just right none <laughs> right <laughs> you just can't do it but anyway uh, um yeah so in comparisons the the way i remember this film from 10 years ago was uh i likened it to something more along the stanford prison experiment mm. Um, or it was a lot more intense. Like, that's what I remember. And I think some of the scenes that we see, some of the images we see on the screen are somewhat disturbing. Yeah. Um, you know, what with uh, electroshock therapy that they used in the 70s, um, you know, there, there's some visually terrifying things. But overall, it's it's much more docile. Um yeah. As then I don't know what you thought about the Stanford prison experiment. I would say that it's not anywhere near as good as this, but that was kind of what I had in my mind watching it again Friday night was something more along those lines of like this claustrophobic can't get out. These scenes that I did remember were you know terrifying, um, and but in the end it was much more well rounded and obviously a much better film than that one but that's kind of where my head was at that's really interesting kevin because it sounds like both of us had a similar experience where we remembered this movie being a lot more um heinous or terrifying than it actually is and it ends up being when you revisit it it's more of a dark comedy than anything yeah. else so i that's i wonder if that has to do with age too yeah maybe maybe <laughs> yeah because we understand it you know on a, a different level now at this point but yeah, age or also just more movies, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. When you watch, you know, a hundred movies, you know, you watch a thousand movies in ten years, or you know, in your case, however long it was since you were ten till yeah. now. Um, <laughs> I wonder if that that probably also plays uh, a bit of like reframing the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I bet you're right. Cool. Well, let's rate it. Okay. Uh, so the the ratings are one to five. You can do uh, the lowest you could give is a half. The highest you can give is a ten. So or a, a five. Um, and if you wanted to, if this is like we do have a six pack award of achievement. So oh, okay. You, um, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I know it's kind of silly, but you could have several five out of fives throughout the year, you know, maybe 10, but you're only going to give out two or three six-pack awards. Yes. So that is an opportunity if you loved it that much. So just, yeah, what you're saying is just don't throw those around, right? I mean, that's exactly. okay, not to be taken lightly. I get you. I get you. Uh, you are the guest. You be. Uh, you do the honors. Rate it out of five beers, sir. Okay, you got it. Um, and um, since I'm a... 
since I'm a Mormon, I'll probably rate. That's true. I'll probably rate out a root beer. No, I'm just kidding. But but, but this is a. a uh, it's really funny that you. Let me interrupt you. Go here. for it. Go for it. It's really funny that you say that. My dad doesn't drink, and uh, he when he's on the show, he rates it out a chocolate chip cookie. Oh, I love it. I, see, I love your parents. I really do. They're great. Yeah, they're they're good people. No, I, I'm just kidding. I mean, I can appreciate the 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 beer metric that you're using in terms of those um units. So I, I could stick with um I could stick with your units there. Ed. So I'd say five out of five beers for sure. This is a must see at least once in your life. If you love the cinema, if you're if you have an interest in in great films and great movies, I mean, um the director here, Milos Foreman, the late great Milos Foreman, I mean we we just lost him back in April of this year, twenty eighteen. Um, he actually had, you know, he got best picture for this and won best director. And he also got best picture for Amadeus and won best director. So this is, this is a, a great filmmaker at the top of his game here. So if you love the cinema, you must see this because it's got tremendous performances as well. So listeners, I hope you will see it. And for me, Kevin, this is a, a buy it for sure. This is a movie that people should own. Let's say you, sir. Uh, yes, sir. I'm on board with you, and I'm really happy because, like I said, it's been you know probably four or five years since I've seen it. Uh, and after I renamed the podcast after it, I was thinking, gosh, I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> I'm hoping it's as good as I remember. <laughs> right, right. But the truth is, it is. It's a five out of five. It's a, it's a. It's a must see uh, if you love film. If you don't love film and you're one of those uh, comic book junkies, uh, you know, like like my brother. No offense, he knows where I stand and where he stands. He loves to go to movies for the big bangs, the the Marvel and the Star Wars, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know if I could convince my brother to watch this film. Um, I would say it might not be for everybody's taste, but if you love all kinds of movies, it's an absolute must-see. I'm 100% with you. Yeah, it, Full five out of five, mm-hmm. it's a great film. And I like what you said at the beginning of this review. You said that it is kind of a slow burn. I mean, it, it does take its time. And, and yeah, I mean, this is – I liked, I rewatch my favorite films, and this is one that even as great as it is, I might not revisit this again for – Maybe five years or so, because yeah, like the th- there are a number of those group therapy sessions, and it does take its time. Now, where it gets to the payoff of slow burns, you know, usually that's great, and in this case, it is. But um, I'm with you, yeah. Maybe not for people who are impatient, but yeah, for cinephiles, for certain. Yeah, good. I'm glad we agree. That was awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you told me you wanted me to um, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sorry if this doesn't come at this point in the show, but you you told me to pick out a scene, right? Like a, a certain uh, an image, like a frozen in time image. Is that? Yeah, that's perfect. That's a perfect segue because uh, what you're talking about is a, a new segment we're going to introduce called Picture Perfect. Picture Perfect is a segment of the show where we discuss an image from the film that really left an impression. A picture is worth a thousand words, and movies are just motion pictures. The picture was perfect. The picture looks perfect. It was picture perfect. And so, 
the idea of that is for you and me, or the co-host and I, to pick out a frame, not a scene, but like a, a picture in the in the uh, in the movie mm-hmm. uh, that we can then share on Twitter and Instagram and get some uh, listener involvement, some social media followers uh, participation, and also just to just to kind of discuss because uh, one thing I really love in film is the the cinematography i think it can make or break a film Mm -hmm. um and this one it it really makes it uh i think the cinematographer is wonderful um and as i was watching it i was thinking about it so yeah so if uh if you wanted to pick a picture perfect moment that like if you paused it you'd be like gosh that's a great piece of artwork kind of something like that yes um or like on my wall behind me right now, uh, I have a picture of John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson holding out their pistols in, from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, it's just a great picture. And you know, maybe it doesn't look the most amazing, but it symbolizes the film in this. It encapsulates the film in this one image. You know. Yes. Uh, so that was kind of my goal with this new segment, Picture Perfect. So yeah, tell me your scene with or your image. Thank you. I'm so glad you asked about this because yeah, I took this assignment very seriously. And yeah, shout out to cinematographer Haskell Wexler, a very famous cinematographer. Um, and and this is a gorgeous film. And I think that the scene for me occurs at 38 minutes 30 seconds. I wrote down the time and. I paused it so I could, like, capture this for you, Kevin. It is when um, Jack Nicholson's McMurphy character is straining to try to lift this heavy water sprayer station. Um, He wants to lift it up and throw it through the window in order to gain his freedom. And and he is, like, buckled down, and he's, he's, like, he's just giving it all he's got. And it looks like he's about to give himself a serious hernia. Um... But and I love this moment. I mean, it looks amazing. Plus, he he really holds on it for a second. He is like just squeezing <laughs> and lifting with all of his might. And it honestly reminds me a lot of the. It's like a microcosm of the film itself, where he just he he is trying to accomplish so much to get his freedom and to uh, also bring joy to the others. And and what he's doing by trying to lift this thing and throw it out the window so he can like escape and stuff, um, <laughs> it's just futile and and it's just it's not gonna happen. He can't do it, and, and so and, and that scene also becomes you know even more significant later in the film. But that is my moment. Thirty eight minutes, thirty seconds. It's amazing. Awesome. Thirty eight minutes and thirty seconds. Yes. So if you're a listener, you can check out. Uh, our Instagram and Twitter, and we'll put that up as a picture-perfect moment from the film. Um, for me, I didn't write down the time, and now I wish I had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it would be easier for me to find mine. Um, so I was going through a couple of different images, because there's a lot of strong images. Uh, you touched on the very final shot of the film. Um mm-hmm magical beautiful uh incredible uh, there is the opening scene oh wait second of all 
There's a moment in uh, when Murph- McMurphy goes into the office to try and get them to turn down the music or get him to play the ball game. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure wh- which one he's trying to do at this moment, but Nurse Ratchet says, uh, "This is for staff only. I will help you as soon as you, as soon as you leave." Uh, you know, as soon as you step out of the office. And there's a moment where the door closes, and on the door is a piece of masking tape that, in Sharpie, it looks like, has been written staff. <laughs> oh, neat. And that that moment really spoke to me because of, like, there's a piece of masking tape with the word handwritten staff that separates the power from the powerless. I I thought that was, uh, and I never remember that from the first time. But as I was watching it in this this time, you know, with these thinking about this review and stuff, uh, that really kind of caught me off guard, and it kind of made me think like, like what is holding me back from becoming the powerful? You know, like is it a piece of masking tape that says staff on it? Like I just I thought that was really interesting. It is um, amazing. I like that. Well, maybe I should keep that one as my first one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I like that whole how reflective that is, and it's like what's holding me back. It's very good. Uh, but the image I I went with maybe uh, maybe I'll change my mind and I'll reorder this in post. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was gonna pick the the scene where Nurse Ratched first walks into the scene and it's a super dark hallway with the the bars closed at the end but she walks in and she's in the light and so i thought that was very interesting just that juxtaposition of like her in her perfectly pressed white nurse outfit with her hat on down this looking at the very end of this super dark hallway with maybe a guard or two um i thought that was kind of a an interesting picture that maybe sums up part of the film mm-hmm. yeah um uh, so yeah that that's the one i i went with but and now i'm thinking about maybe picking the other one <laughs> <laughs> I, I dig them both i like them both and you know the, the the one that you're describing there that is very interesting and um yeah her introduction into this film i mean the whole, everything surrounding it is is really great cool um yeah so that's picture perfect so hopefully the listeners like the new segment um mm-hmm. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, shout out? If you get a chance, I don't know if you've been to the theater recently for this, but like Upgrade is pretty fun, so I'd recommend that okay. um, if people haven't checked that out. And um, if you watch stuff that's streaming, like, um, and I know you're not much of a horror guy, right? So, so maybe this is just for the horror people, but like Revenge and Downrange are pretty fun. So I just say that too. Okay. Yeah, and then streaming on Netflix I- though, here's one. It's called Cargo, and it's a zombie film, but it, it's not your typical zombie film. It's really about family. It's about fatherhood or parenthood, and um, it's amazing. Okay. Uh, that was Cargo? Yeah, Cargo, streaming on Netflix, and um, that, that's a good one. I'd, I'd highly recommend that. Okay, and what I guess, yeah, you you always do this so effortlessly, but uh, what – your podcast is Movie Podcast Weekly mm-hmm. and Horror Movie Podcast. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, just those two shows. I mean, Movie Podcast Weekly is 
four idiots review movies that are brand new in theaters <laughs> or streaming online. And then horror movie podcast is um, obviously about horror movies. And it's it's a little more pseudo-academic reviews of horror films and the genre itself. I mean, we take it a little more seriously. And so other than that, I mean, uh, we have a whole network of friends, Movie Podcast Network. We've got Western shows on there and um, sci-fi. And then we already mentioned William Rowan Jr.'s Movie Moments podcast. So check those out as well. Well, thanks, man, for doing this. I had a great time. Oh, are you kidding? It was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, and um, yeah, it was really fun. I, 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 li- I really like one brew over the cuckoo's nest, and I feel like extra special being um asked to be on the namesake show when we reviewed the film that it's named after. Yeah, I well, I you know, it's uh, it's it, the, the inspiration in front of me, you know, like uh. <laughs> Wouldn't, there wouldn't be a one brew over without your uh, without your show. So I and I mean that I truly do. So uh, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I thought what a perfect example, you know, namesake episode, inspiring guest. It, <laughs> it just fit the bill perfectly. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> there you have it. That was our conversation regarding one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Again, Jason, thanks for coming on. It was great to have him as a guest. And I think the conversation was a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. Uh, The next show that will drop will be Matt DeLuca and I's review of Deadpool. As far as the show goes, you can find us at OneBrewOver.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OneBrewOver. Stay tuned after these credits for a segment that didn't make it into the main body of the show called The Year Was. They'll explain that. And uh, Jason and I talk about things of 1975. Thanks for tuning in, and I appreciate your loyal listenership. I'm your host, Kevin Zade, and this was One Brew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Are you not entertained? Another new segment that we're introducing is uh, The Year Was. Since the beginning of cinema, the movies have been exploring space and time, spanning millions of years. And it's now part of the show where we journey backwards or forwards to when The Year Was. This is going to be mostly reserved for films that are older, or perhaps a film that takes place set in a in a period. Um, so th- this year was 1975, and you and I have done a natural job of discussing other films that came out in 1975. Um, did, you did. Uh, did you look up any films that came out in 1975, or do you remember any? Oh, yes, sir. Absolutely, I did. Yeah, did, would you like me to just like, name, like, run off a little list of some, or what, what would you like? Yeah, me? Give, give me a list of, like, some of your favorites. Like, give me, like, four or five of your favorite films from 1975. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, obviously, we've already mentioned Jaws, and that's incredible. That's probably my favorite film from that year. Um You've got uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, of course. Um, 
Dog Day Afternoon, Al Pacino's Sidney Lumet. It's like a John Q, but back in the day. <laughs> you get uh, uh, Hard Times, well, um, Charles Bronson film. Um, there's one called uh, Trip with the Teacher. It's this little lesser known kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's not a great film, just so everybody knows. But it's it's just a weird little like horror type of thriller film. It's pretty cool. Um, and then uh, just looking here, uh, let me see. I mean, that's just a couple. I mean, you you said favorites. Uh, now I I listed a number of them, but they're not necessarily my favorites per se. But um, what do you what do you have? Uh, so yeah, I also had Jaws and Monty Python and uh, Dog Day Afternoon, mm-hmm. um, and then just on the list of most popular films from 1975, I haven't seen it, but I thought it looked interesting because I love Robert Duvall. Um, but Breakout with Duvall and Bronson. Oh, I haven't seen that have either. You seen that? And he's my favorite oh. actor. Um, Duvall is my all-time favorite. I haven't seen it. He's so good. Uh, we should watch it, maybe. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another one, uh, and this one just reminded me of uh, my best friend growing up. Uh, we watched this movie together probably two or three times, but it's The Man Who Would Be King mm-hmm. with uh, Sean Connery. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so that's that's one that I rem- remember fondly from the year. But, uh, yeah, Jaws is an interesting film to me because I did not watch it growing up. I think I was, I think I saw it either last year for the very first time and found it to be completely effective. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's tremendous. Uh, I found the same thing with the first Jurassic Park, uh, which I also didn't see until the year of the, the new one. Fallen Kingdom one. Oh, or, oh, Jurassic World, really? So you, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so I didn't see any of the Jurassic Parks until this new one came out, and I was like, well, I should at least watch the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I found it completely effective. I thought it was magical and wonderful, but I mean, but the, the same happened with me and Jaws. I thought it it was scary. It was. Uh, compelling. I thought the characters were interesting. I thought the performances were really good. Um, I really like Jaws, and and uh, and horror films aren't really my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just I loved it. I thought it was so good. And uh, and and who can't help but shout Attica every once in a while from Dog Day Afternoon? <laughs> like right. That's. If uh, if that had won instead of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest for Best Picture, I wouldn't say I would be necessarily disappointed. Oh, no. Yeah. I think that's a great movie. I totally agree. And and another one from that year, which as many times as I've tried to watch it and make myself like it, I just don't like it. I can't help it, but is uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. <laughs> I, yeah, it, speaking of reboots, that's getting a reboot. <laughs> Uh, so you don't like it? No, I just feel like it's so, um, it's just too slow and, and to me, and it, it ends up not paying off very well, at least for my tastes. And I mean, I, I like Peter Weir as a director and everything, but I'm just like, I, I just can't do it. I can't. 
Huh. But, but but like okay. Well, I've never seen it, so okay. Well, it. I mean, talk about slow burns. It doesn't pay off. Like if you want to <laughs> see a Peter Weir film, and I'm sure you know this one, but my favorite Peter Weir, Weir film is Master and Commander: Far Side of the World. I think that's a masterpiece. And it is. It's absolutely five out of five for yeah. sure. That's a, that's a great slow burn. Speaking of slow burns, he likes his slow burns apparently. Right. But it's it's um, like a big budget art film. I mean, it's it's done yeah. so well. What an incredible period piece, and probably most people know him for the Truman Show. I bet, uh, if I were to guess. But, but anyway, okay. anyway, Picnic at Hanging Rock is, you know, it's it's not a bad film or anything, and it is very mysterious. I mean, it makes you feel a little uneasy because it's a mystery. But I just wish it paid off a little more. That's all. Okay, well, um, I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll skip it. It was on my list to maybe try and catch before this new series came out, but uh, okay. maybe I'll skip it. <laughs> and then, and then this one is um, one of those that, uh, you know, it's one of those that you can't morally refer. Repre- <laughs> I was gonna say uh, you can't morally recommend to people because it's pretty reprehensible. But you got uh, Ilsa, She Wolf of the SS. Which is one of those uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nazi exploitation type of terrible movies, but that that was that year as well. Okay, (laughs) I I uh, I don't know who was that on one of your special episodes. Somebody talked about that movie. Yeah, I'm sure Doctor Schlock talked about it. Yeah, that's what he (laughs) he's into that kind of thing. But but one more, Kevin, if you don't mind. So Airport 1975, you know the airport disaster movies. I actually like this one because, um, I mean, I like a couple of them. Let's be honest, but, but Airport 75 has Charlton Heston in it, which is really fun to me. And I believe they're um, flying to Salt Lake City, if I'm not mistaken, which is where I podcasted okay. from. But anyway, that's kind of fun. And I, I like the third airport movie as well. Like I think it's Airport 77. But, but yeah, Airport 75, 1975 came out this year as well. Okay, um, I like airplane, um. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So much of but, that uh, is okay. spoofing the first airport movie. Uh, okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'll I'll check out airport. That sounds interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get uh, like the first three are decent, and then once you get to the fourth one, no, no. It's like it's okay. like the fourth Jaws. <laughs> like that that Jaws yeah, is yeah. unwatchable. I mean, it's. It is painful. Boy, it's uh, almost anything with a fourth one is unbearable. Yeah, I don't know what it is, except for I think the exception to that is uh, Star Trek IV, um, The Voyage Home. Man, I love that movie. I just revisited that the other night. That's where they come back to Earth in 1986. <laughs> man, I love that film so much. Okay, I would say an exception would be Rocky Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yes. know, that's that's maybe not one of the greatest films of all time, but it's uh, it's at least a lot of fun. I I love it. I must break you. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Right? Oh. Yeah. So good times. Good. I I love all the Rockies except the fifth one. <laughs> I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit more about. 1975 uh at the 1975 oscar ceremonies uh so these it would have been honoring the films of 1974 but there was a little fun fact uh 
the only fictional character to win two Oscars with different actors won its second award with Marlon Brando from 1972's Godfather. He won the Oscar for playing Vito Corleone. And Robert De Niro won in 1975 for the same character of Vito Corleone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he won, or but it was De Niro. So that's kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting fact about 1975. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And uh, Jaws won the box office with 190 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and this deserved. I, I still, I was surprised I'd never seen it until I did and just loved it. Yeah, and many people credit Jaws as the beginning of the summer popcorn blockbuster movie, you know? Like. that's Yeah, that's another fact I read. I heard that mm-hmm. the, the summer was a graveyard time for films until Jaws came out and then Star Wars two years later. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sorry it wasn't. 75 but i always just try to spread the word as as, to as many people as possible um from also from 77 was sorcerer and i always try to get people to watch that film if they haven't seen it i mean it was overshadowed by star wars and um that's an incredible film with william friedkin stars roy scheider speaking of jaws everybody's got to see that i mean it's a remake of the wages of fear but still the french film yeah Tremendous oh. this sorcerer movie has some of the greatest set pieces you'll ever see. Ever. You know, I uh, I haven't seen it yet. It's been on my list. It's on my Netflix disc queue. Um, okay. So I'll get it eventually. It's one of those films that's not easily accessible. Even it's it's been on my list for a while, and they keep sending me the second one because it's not available yet. Um. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, if if you do, um, if you aren't able to get it that way, I see that you can stream it on Amazon for like three bucks, and it's totally worth oh. every penny. Now, I will warn the listeners and, and you too. Like the first the first fifty minutes, it has like four prologues to set up these four different characters, and those are very slow. And you know, a lot of people probably turn it off. But but once the first fifty minutes is over. It is it is rock and roll from there, and I know that's a lot of time to give a film, but just trust trust me, people. I mean, it's it's amazing. All right, source. Um, I uh, do you do you have a Stitcher Premium? No, I don't. Okay, I don't know if it's it would be available uh, if you didn't have Stitcher Premium, but. Mark Marin interviews William Friedkin for almost two hours, and it's a fantastic interview if huh. you ever wanted to check out the uh, – I think you can get premium for a month for free if you sign up for, I don't know, something like that. But uh, if you can get to it, it's a, it's a great podcast. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear w- that. A great interview with him. Um, he seems like a very interesting dude. Yeah, he does. I recently heard him on the radio give an interview for that new um, that documentary, that possession documentary. That sounds really scary. Um, but but yeah, he sounds very interesting. I agree. Um, this is going to be the the totally the the most lame ending of this new segment we're trying out. But <laughs> the last two things I wrote down on my list of fun facts about 1975 is pet rocks and mood rings were a thing. 
Oh man. But but that gives the people idea of why Jaws and um Cuckoo's Nest were so much fun for people exactly. that year, right? I mean that puts it in perspective. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's good. That's good. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh Another goal of mine was to kind of manage the time on my podcast a little bit better, and that I knew that wasn't going to happen tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's my fault, everybody, if this show has run long, so I apologize. It's not your fault. It's uh, I I uh, I never want to cut down a good conversation. So if the conversation's good, I I'm the one who listens. I'm the only listener I know who listens to this podcast. <laughs> right? I mean, that's how I feel about mine, too. It's like, in order to edit, you know, I have to listen, and um, that's probably the only time it gets played all the way through. So, <laughs> <laughs> Do 